This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I hear his voice yelling at me, and I never like it when my dad yells at me. I don't know. Wasn't that a fun moment when you hear a parent yelling at you? But the words he was yelling at me were, look out! We are on a hike in Yosemite, and I'm in my young 20s, and I am just a young buck thinking I have it all figured out, and I'm moving as fast as I can on this trail, and we're taking a shortcut, bouldering to get from one section of the trail to the next, and I'm hopping across these rocks, and that's when my dad said, look out, because what I had failed to realize is that sitting on the sun, warming itself on that rock was a baby rattlesnake. Now, I don't know if you know anything about rattlesnakes. That's never a good day. But a baby rattlesnake is even less of a good day because apparently when they bite, they just give it all. (laughs) And in that moment, my dad is saying, look out because he's looking out for me. And I remember just hearing my dad's voice in that moment and, and pausing and suddenly realizing what he was trying to warn me about and realizing, hey, I should probably slow down and let dad be a part of this hike with me. And pay attention to what he wants to say. And see, I think that's what God is like. If we're willing to let him speak to us into our stories. That God wants to look out over us. And he's willing to yell at us at times to wake us up to the things that he wants to share with us. And so we started a series last week called Rooted. Planning our lives in the beauty of God's words. Because there are things that God has shown us and expressed about himself that he wants us to understand about who he is and and about the reality of this world we're living in and about who we are. And if we're willing to listen, we'll hear our dad's voice saying, hey, look out. I have something for you. Hey, look out. There's danger over there. Hey, look out, because I want to lead you into the best life you could ever hope to know. And so we're, we're taking a deep dive over these weeks to just get ourselves oriented around understanding what, what the Bible is, what the scriptures are, and, and how they can be a foundation through which God wants to actually show us good things if we're willing to listen to them. And so one of the early Christian leaders, a, a guy named Paul, he picks up on this theme, he understands this idea, and in one of the letters he was writing to a younger pastor that he was training, a protege, He has this to say about the power and the beauty of God's words. And so Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, about Scripture. He says this, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so here's Paul writing to us about about the power and beauty of God's words. And what he's wanting us to understand is that scriptures, through the scriptures, God wants to inform us about life. And he wants to protect us in life. That he's speaking to us because he's wanting us to understand some things about who he is and who we are and what's going on. And that God will actually use his words given to us in the scriptures to prepare us for life. Prepare us for the life he has and to actually propel us into the fullness of the life he wants to lead us into. And the reason that Paul says that that this can happen is that 
these are not just human words. These are words given to us that God inspired. And what Paul's talking about when he says that it's inspired, he's using this interesting word that almost has this connotation of like they've, been had, they've had life breathed into them. So certain English translations will say that the scriptures are God-breathed. And the idea behind that is that as they were being written, God was involved in the process so that as he's working through the writing of these words, what he wants us to know to be true about himself was being communicated. And it's this thing, well, how does that work? Like, don't really know. I wasn't there when God did it, but I know that God can do things that are beyond us. And, and so what the, the, the implication of what Paul is saying is that, hey, these words that we have, they're not just human words. They're words that God gave us through humans to know God's heart for us. Which means that if, if these are actually God's words to us, there's a world of difference between the, the scriptures being inspiring to us and inspired for us. And what, what I would mean by that is like when, when you read through the scriptures, I don't know if you've ever spent time in them or not or looked at something and, and you just saw something that kind of moved you and you're like, I'm kind of inspired by that. Like, like whether you're talking about any kind of literature, have you ever read something that just inspired you? Like if you were about a Hallmark card, probably, or you were just like, I don't know what to say. I like what they said. So, right? But like when, when something's inspiring to you, if all scripture is, is something that's inspiring to us, then there will be times that we may be moved by it. But that doesn't mean we'll actually be transformed because of it. Because to be actually transformed by scripture means that we have to be willing, whether we're inspired or not, to come into alignment with it because of the weight of the words and, and who's communicating to us. See, when we begin to embrace this idea that this is more than just inspiring, but it's actually inspired by God, there's potential for God to use his scriptures to transform our lives. Because whether, again, we're inspired or not, we'll trust the one who's communicating to us through the words. Whether I like it or not, or whether I want to or not, I'll say, like, but I realize this is your voice saying, look out. This is your voice trying to communicate life to me. And when that happens when we trust that then God will use his words to transform our lives like God will actually use scripture to speak to us about reality God will use the scriptures to speak to us about what is true and good and God will use the scriptures to speak to us to help protect us and and even correct us if we're off on things like I don't I don't know if you've ever been off on life perspectives or whatever yeah, and it's like, it's kind of helpful for someone to say, hey, no, 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 like, like, hey, don't hike where there's rattlesnakes, like, like, that's a good thing, and because God's good, he's willing to say, look out, and correct us when we need it, but more than just correct us, the scriptures are given to move us forward in life, that God will use them to prepare us and equip us for the life that he's created us to live. And see, the reason that Paul writes these words about scripture is because he was following after Jesus in his own story. And he understood what Jesus understood about Scripture. And so as a follower of Jesus, Paul was willing to let Jesus speak into his life. And where Jesus went, Paul was willing to go. And so, so much so that Jesus' thoughts would become Paul's thoughts. And Jesus' words would be words that would shape Paul's life. And as he wrapped his life around Jesus, he, his life was transform. So the guy that wrote those words that we just looked at, when we first meet him in the Bible story, he's like a jerk. 
but like, like the worst sort of a jerk. Like he's actually killing Christians. And this is how good God is. He can say, you're my enemy. Watch what happens if you let me love you. <laughs> and I will transform you. And Paul's life was radically transformed that he went to being one of the worst enemies of this early Jesus movement to being one of its champions because the words of life transformed him and Jesus transformed him. And I don't know about you, but as a current follower of Jesus, I want that reality in my story. Like I want to experience my life that can be transformed, the areas of brokenness and mess in my story. I don't want those to be the things that define me. I want to experience the life that God has for me. And so that's why I look to Jesus to lead me in my story, because I know I'm a man who needs help. It's not like I came to Jesus and said, it looks like you could use some help with that. Here I come. I look at Jesus and say, yes, can you help me with this? And so I want to follow you and let you lead me and guide me. And Jesus said he came to give us life to its fullest, which means that if we really want to experience the life he came to give us, we begin to let him lead us in life. So much so that his ways become our ways and his thoughts become our thoughts. Which means that as, as I'm thinking about things in my story or my life, I always want to say, Jesus, what do you think about this thing? Because what you think about this thing should shape and inform me. And so what Jesus thinks about scripture probably is important. <laughs> probably should matter for us. Like, Jesus, what do you think about these words? Because it seems like Paul had thoughts about them as he followed you, so what should we think about them as we seek to follow you into the life that you have for us? And the cool thing about Jesus is if you look at his life, you begin to discover what he thought and believed. And so we get a glimpse of what Jesus thought about the scriptures in this epic showdown we see in his story. And one of, the, one of the stories of his life, written by a guy named Matthew, he records this story of encounter that Jesus has before he kind of starts his public ministry, before he kind of goes, like his IPO launches and people can invest in him or not. Jesus has some preparation moments, and, and we're told that he was led into this moment so that he could be prepared. And so we see this story, and in this story that we're about to see, we're going to see what Jesus thinks about Scripture and how he engages in this epic showdown. And so this is what Matthew records for us. And so what I want to do is walk through this with an eye to say, Jesus, what is your, your view of Scripture? How does it weigh into this scenario? There's more than just that. We'll see some other things too, but this is pretty amazing to watch what Jesus does here. And so this is what we read in Matthew 4. We're told that then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God was leading him in his life. So he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became hungry. And so just a couple of things as we get started. This is not an accident what's about to happen. Like this is on purpose for a purpose. Because here in this moment is he's being prepared to step into the role that God called him to play. He's about to face the test that our first parents failed. The test that broke us as a human race. The garden story that we see, the, 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 the first people, Adam and Eve, they were tested by the deceiver and they failed the test and everything broke because of that. And so now here's Jesus stepping into his time. He's going to face the same test of temptation and he's going to pass it and it's really good. We're going to see this. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but the other thing to recognize is that he's here going to, he's going to contend with Satan, with the devil. And if we're kind of in this, this, this modern frame of mind, like, oh, the devil's not really real. That's just maybe an allegory about broken things in this world. All I would say to you is if that's what you think, then who on earth is Jesus debating with? 
It seems as if Jesus is having a real conversation with a real person, and they're going at it. <laughs> and so it's like, well, I don't think Jesus is an allegory, so I think that maybe perhaps there's a, there's a foe in this world that's out to get us, and Jesus is going to contend with him. And what we're going to see in this moment is that the devil, Satan's going to come after Jesus by trying to trick him and deceive him because he's using his favorite tactic, which is lying. And the way that Satan tries to take us out of the game is by lying to us about life and reality. And he will always twist the truth just enough to make it seem like maybe it makes sense, which is why Jesus calls him the father of lies. And so here's Jesus getting ready to step into the octagon, the human race versus Satan, UFC number two. Satan won the first fight. Now Jesus, on our behalf, is stepping in to say, let's go, bro. (laughs) I'm about to set some people free, so you want to come at me? Come at me. And we're going to watch this three-round fight between Jesus and Satan. So if you don't like violence, don't watch the UFC. (laughs) There's not going to be a physical fight. This is going to be a fight for truth. And we're about to see this as this happens. And so here's what happens. So during that time, so this time of Jesus fasting for 40 days, during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Which kind of makes sense. Like you've been fasting for 40 days. I'm guessing Jesus is hungry. And yet here's what's fascinating to watch about what's going on here. When Satan comes after us, there's usually two areas of attack. It's our, our understanding of our identity or it's our understanding of God's identity, like God's character. And he's always going to want us to doubt who we are meant to be or who God is meant to be. And so here's Satan coming, swinging at him. Hey, if you are the Son of God, like if you really are who you say you are, Jesus, prove it. Assert yourself. Do something to demonstrate who you are. And I know you're hungry, so make some bread. And, and again, like, well, what's the big idea? Like, there's nothing wrong with bread. And if Jesus can do this, why would that be a problem? Except why is Jesus out here in the first place? Like, who brought him to this moment? God did. So maybe it's far more important for Jesus to say, God, why am I out here with you versus what Satan is trying to get me to do? And so here's what Jesus responds to this first temptation, this first attack. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus' response to this attack from Satan is to quote scripture. He's quoting from the ancient scriptures that were in the the book of Deuteronomy. And in in doing this, Jesus shows us some significant things. In doing this, Jesus shows us that he has a view of scripture and he sees it as authoritative and powerful. And he brings it to wield in the conversation to combat what Satan's coming at him. And I love this because Jesus doesn't get into a debate with Satan about the merits of bread eating. Well, let's talk about fasting. And like, he's just like, he's like, no, no, because I realize that what God wants for me in this moment is far more important than any single desire I could have. And so he quotes the scripture about scripture being God's word, and he wields it with weight and authority in this moment, in this argument. And in quoting scripture, he helps us understand what he thinks about scripture. Jesus realizes that these are God's words. These are his father's words. And he's going to use them to protect himself in this scenario. He's going to use them because he trusts in his father's voice more than he trusts even in his own desires in this moment. This is powerful as we see what he's doing here. And something else that Jesus shows us in this moment as he's using God's words to protect himself is that God's desires for him are far more important than his own desires in this moment. 
Like he believes that what God desires for him is greater. And so is Jesus hungry in this moment? Like I've been fasting for two and a half hours now. (laughs) I'm hungry. Like here's Jesus fasting like 40 days. Like come on, is he hungry? Yes, of course he's hungry. But he understands that what God desires for him is greater than his own desires. So much so that he's saying, no, I'm going to do what God wants. I'm not going to claim my identity on my terms. I'm going to look to trust God with who he says I am. And Jesus understands that his identity is ultimately going to be found in pursuing God's desires for his life. Not trying to grab his own understanding of it. And so here in the first round, Jesus shows us that God's words matter That God's words have power and authority and weight, and so he brings them into the debate. And Jesus realizes that that life is more than eating bread because we are so much more than just physical, biological beings. We're spiritual beings created in God's image, and his words are the spiritual food that we need to wrap our lives around. But the fight's not over. Round one, Jesus. Satan comes out swinging again. And so then we're told in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem. So now he's taking the fight to sacred ground, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, so he's going after his identity again, If you are the Son of God, jump off! For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Catch this. Satan quotes scripture too. Because he knows the words, just like Jesus knows the words. But he's never going to quote scripture to actually lead us into truth. When he quotes scripture, it's to twist it or give us just enough that it seems right. So here's Satan coming after Jesus, inviting Jesus once again to assert his identity on his terms versus what God would want from him. And he's quoting scripture to convince Jesus Jesus, if I can get you to do it on your terms, then you aren't going to trust God, and I'm going to mess up the entire plan that's at work here. And what's crazy about the scripture that Satan's quoting is he's taking God's words, but he's only giving them enough. So he's quoting from the Psalms, from Psalm 91. But if you read the entire Psalm, Satan conveniently leaves out the beginning part of this section that says, if you make God your refuge, then he will protect you when things happen. See, the the point of the psalm is to say, God, I'm going to trust you so much with my life that even if I were to fall, you're going to hold me up. The psalm doesn't mean, all right, God, catch me. I'm going to do something stupid on my own and just expect you to write the check. No, the point is, no, God, I'm going to trust you so much so that even if following you is scary or difficult or hard, you will catch me even if I fall. That's the point of the psalm. Convenient of Satan, isn't it, to leave that part out? To try and get Jesus to just assert his own sense of self without that. Because again, he's a master deceiver. He knows how to just give you enough of the truth to make it sound good. It's kind of like if you've ever played two truths and a lie. Have you ever played that game with your friends? Like, you're, like the goal of the game, two truths and a lie. Like if we were playing that, I would tell you three things about myself. Two of them are true and one is a lie. And then you have to just guess which one it is. Do you know what the key is to deceiving someone? Lace the truth or lace the lie with enough truth that it sounds good. Because if I can give you just enough, you'll buy the lie. And see, that's what Satan does. 
That's why it's so important that Jesus is taking this test that we failed and wanting to win it on our behalf. Because the first time we faced this test as a human race, we failed horribly. You go to the Genesis story, Genesis 3, and you see this moment where the deceiver enters the story and he's getting them to do the one thing God said not to do. So God, we're told that in the beginning that God made us, he breathed his breath of life in us. Like male and female, he created us so that we could be like him in this world. And then he said, here's one thing I don't want for you. This tree that somehow represented the knowledge of good and evil. God's like, I don't want you to do that. You're free to do everything else, not this one thing. And we're like, you're so mean, God, holding out on us. And yet the reason God didn't want that for us is because there's a world of difference understanding good and evil and experiencing it. Like if you've experienced evil in your story, someone has wronged you, you know how ugly that is. If you've experienced evil in your story because you've done the evil, you know how damaging that is. And so here's God, I don't want that for you. So just trust me that I'm good enough. And so now when the deceiver enters the story in Genesis 3, he comes and he begins to twist the truth of what God had said. Hey, did God really say you're going to die if you eat of this? Like he's contradicting God. And we're told that the woman that Eve says like, well, yeah, we're not even supposed to touch it. Like it's weird how they already added to the rule. Like, we'd love to do that, don't we? And so then he says, no, you're not going to die. God knows that if you eat it, you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. And here's the tragedy about that lie. They already were like him. They were created in his image. But somehow they believed that God wasn't enough, that God was holding out on them. So Satan's lie got them to doubt God's goodness. And our first parents broke everything. And so here's Satan coming after Jesus, trying to get him to make the same mistake. And I love that Jesus goes to bat for us to rescue us from our brokenness and our mistakes. And so what's Jesus' response? Well, let's debate the Psalms and see if they speak you know, authoritatively about the truth of who God is. No, look at what he says. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to assert myself on my terms or try to walk away from God. I'm going to trust God with who he says I am, and I'm going to follow after him. See, because when we look to God and trust him with ourselves, that's when God begins to protect us because we're walking in him as our refuge. And here's what Jesus understands. These are my father's words, and I'm going to use them to guard my life and protect me from the lies that you're swinging at me. So round two goes to Jesus, but Satan's not done, and so he comes after him again one more time. So next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me, which in that moment, you got to think if you're Jesus, that sounds a lot better than the path that I'm being called to walk path that will require me to give myself up as an offering for the brokenness of this world, to embrace the death of the human race so that they can have life. And here's what Satan is doing. He's offering Jesus a shortcut. Here's a shortcut to your destiny. All you have to do is not trust God and trust me instead. And this is amazing that I look at this moment and I think, Jesus, honestly, if I was in that spot, I, don't, I think the human race would be screwed. Because I would take the easy route. Thank you that you went to bat for me. 
that you stood up to this test on my behalf and you didn't cave or give in. And Jesus' response is this. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And once again, Jesus is quoting scripture as something authoritative with weight so it will guard him and protect him in this moment. And I love what we see here. Because Jesus is helping us understand not just the importance of Scripture as God's words, but to realize that any shortcut that leads us away from God is not a shortcut. It's a dead end. And here's Jesus saying, like, no, as attractive as this offer is, goodbye. I'm going to trust God. And Jesus wins round three, and we're told that the devil went away, and then angels came and took care of him. And here's Jesus stepping into the octagon on our behalf, facing the test that we failed. And Satan tries to take him down three times, and each time his response is, no, it is written. No, this is what God has said. God has spoken. I trust these words. And Jesus wins the fight by using the scriptures because he knew whose words these were. These were his father's words, and he trusted his father's voice to lead him and guard him in his life. And it's so incredible when we see that, that for Jesus, the scriptures had weight because he knew who was speaking. They had power because he trusted that they were from God. And as he embraced them, he stepped into his life, following after what God wanted for him. And that same thing can be true for us. See, Jesus used the scriptures to protect him as he was walking through life, to protect him from the lies of the enemy. He used the scriptures to propel him into the fullness of life that God was wanting to lead him into. And because he embraced them, he sets the example for us as we follow after him. Okay, then help me to have that same understanding that these are God's good words given to guide and guard me in life and to protect me when the enemy comes after me, to trust my Father's voice, that he's saying, look out. I have something really good for you if you will lean in and let me lead you. Which is why Paul writes the words that he writes as a follower of Jesus to another follower of Jesus so that the followers of Jesus would know that we can trust Dad's words. Which is why Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And that word useful seems like such a, such a, a light word, but it's, that's a powerful word. It's a powerful word, like, like being trained to be a black belt and you get jumped in the dark alley at night. That's useful. Or like being trapped out in the wilderness and you have survival skills like Bear Grylls. That's useful. Or being diagnosed with a sickness that could take you out and the doctor comes in with the cure. That's useful. And this is the point that Paul is making, that God's words are useful because they will guard us in life. They will guide us in life. They will protect us and propel us into the life that God has for us because God will use his words to correct us when we're wrong, which never feels good. But because he is good, it's for our good and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work, which means that God's words have power for our lives today. If we will listen. 
we will lean in and say, help me understand what you're saying to me. Help me know what you have for me in life. And Jesus knew this, which is why he used the scriptures in his life to guide him and guard him and protect him and propel him. So what about us? What about us and our story today? What will we do with these words that have been given to us? Like, will we lean in and listen? Will we trust that these words have weight for our lives? So because the difference between scriptures being something that's inspiring and scriptures being something that will transform you is whether or not you believe these are your dad's words speaking life to you, wanting to lead you into his best. Do you trust that God's words are given to guide and guard you? Do you trust that God wants to speak into your life through his words to protect you and propel you into the life that he set you free to live? Which is why we seek to lean in and say, help me understand who you are. Help me to understand who I am. Help me to step into the life you have for me. And Jesus, as I step into this life you have for me, help me to hear your voice through these words, leading me into the fullness of life that you've promised to me. And so as we wrestle with this in our own stories, there's some things I can do for you, and there's some things I can't do for you. So here's what I can't do for you. I can't convince you that this is true. I can't. All I can do is share with you my journey and what I've discovered and share with you what those who've gone before us in the history of following Jesus have discovered in their story. And I can't compel you to believe this, nor would I ever try to do that, because our faith as followers of Jesus is not something that we're meant to impose on other people. Our faith as followers of Jesus is something that we're meant to invite people to come and see for themselves. Like, we are never meant to be militants as followers of Jesus. We're meant to be people that say, come and see. He's done something in my story, and I just invite you to come and see for yourself. Ours is meant to be a faith that invites people to check it out. So here's what's really cool. You can check it out for yourself. I bought this on Amazon for 20 bucks. So here's my invitation, because this is what I can do. Take a step and see if God wants to speak to you through his words. See if God has life for you. And if you're like, I don't have 20 bucks, I have good news for you today. Two easy payments. No. (laughs) I'd have good news for you today. You can get the Bible absolutely free if you have, uh, my phone's down there, if you have one of these devices called a smartphone. Because there's this beautiful gift that a church created in our, in our country and said, we, we don't want to make money off of this. We just want to give this away as a tool to resource people to hear God's voice. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. You can download it and literally have the Bible on your phone. And this is an incredibly cool tool to use because you can look at different English translations. So if you don't like the King James because it's like reading Shakespeare, I hear you. <laughs> So we've taken those old words written in other languages and translated them into English words that we can understand today. And there's studies that you could do where you're like, well, what does the Bible say about hardship and suffering like we've all gone through? Here's words of hope that you can lean into. What does the Bible say about trying to be a good parent? 
here's words that can be like this is a beautiful tool and it's absolutely free and and all I would want to do today is invite you to, to take that step of leaning in and seeing what God wants to say to you. See if these are words of life that can transform your story. It's been really fun. Over the summer, we offered a course looking at the, the life of Jesus through the, what's called the gospel, the good news story of John. And it's taking a look at one of the books we have in the Bible, the scriptures that tell the story of Jesus. And so there's been a group of us that have just been showing up on Wednesdays, listening to someone talk through and teach, but on our own, reading through the scripture that tells us the truth about Jesus. And it's been so cool for me because like, I've kind of done this a lot in my story, but the more I continue to do it, the more I see that there's something new that God has for me. And as we've been leaning in to look at the words of Jesus, I've been challenged, I've been encouraged. And I found hope in these words because these are words of life. And through them, I'm hearing my dad say, hey, look out. Hey, go this way. Hey, hold on. And so I just want to put this invitation in front of you today. Take that step and see for yourself. Jesus would often say to the crowds as he was talking to people, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's this invitation for Jesus to say, hey, if you want to hear what I have to say to you, then lean in and let my voice guide you and lead you. And I just want to make that invitation to you today. Take a step and see what he has to say to you through those words that were given to you to guide you and guard you and protect you and propel you into the life Jesus came to give you. And so, Father, thank you that you're not silent. Thank you that you're not an absent parent. Thank you that you care so much about us, that you, you speak to us through the messiness of our human story. And, and I don't presume to understand everything that you've told us in the pages of this book, but if we're willing to lean in and listen, you do speak life. So would you give us the ears to hear the things that you want us to understand about who you are and who we are? Will we have those ears that that are willing to hear and to be corrected where we need to be set on the right path? Because we know that you are good and you are for us. And so thank you. Thank you for being a God who speaks that we may know the life you've come to give us. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.